there's more to this life than I thought. And James inspires me. The things he says have encouraged me. It's like there's a walk, there's a path, and it's leading to something more real than I've ever known before, and it's exciting. I get around James and I hear things that help me in my life, my work. This work he talks about has become my work. I am excited about the possibility that other people could be affected, other people could be inspired to work on themselves, to grow, to, to realize there's more to this life. going to talk about is something really close to your heart. This is dearer to you than sex itself. We're going to talk about misery because there's nothing that you love more than misery. Absolutely nothing. There's nothing that you are more unwilling to release than your own misery. And I'm not talking about suffering. I'm not talking about sacrificing suffering. I'm talking about sacrificing misery. You can still have your suffering, but sacrificing your misery. It's like, oh no, that, no, we're not doing that. And I'll explain to you because you say, oh, that's insane. I'll explain to you exactly what I mean. As if there wasn't enough misery in the world, we've stumbled into a misery manufacturing plant with no lights. So I just want you to imagine for a moment, and here you are, you've just kind of walked through this door, and there are no lights, and the door closes behind you, and you're now on this manufacturing floor. And you wander around on this floor, and everything you touch, it's a machine. But when you touch it, it comes to life, and it starts working. And you jump back, and as you jump back, you back into another machine, and it comes to life, and it starts working. And that startles you, and you bounce over here, and you touch another machine, and it starts going. And then the one over there stops, and so you move in that direction, but then you trip over something else. You see what I'm saying? So it's like one reaction after another, bing, 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 bing. And these things are happening, and these machines are going, and these are reactions. This is what it's like inside of us. It's like you are in this big factory, this huge factory. And everything you touch, and everything that touches something else, so this machine over here, you touch this machine, it starts something. But then it touches this machine, and this machine, and this machine, and there's a chain reaction then. So all of these things are going. And all of this stuff is being produced. Well, the stuff that's being produced is misery, but we don't call it misery. We call it safety. We call it food. We call it protection. We call it survival. We call it comfort. But the truth is, it's not that. It's truly misery. But we don't know that because it's all dark in there and we don't really know anything. And we're just trying to survive in there. So then the work comes along with some light. Machines don't need light in which to work. You realize that. Machines can operate in complete darkness. They don't have to have light. The only machines that have to have light are machines that need to see something, see where they're going. But then they can be programmed to just go by feel. They don't have to go by sight. What cameras on machines are for is not the machine, it's for the people who are operating the machine. So every move we make on the production floor trips some new misery machine that cranks out sorrow, pain, and grief. Have you got sorrow, pain, and grief in your life? Yeah? Okay. Has everybody pretty much in this world, in this pain factory called planet Earth, has everyone got sorrow, pain, and grief in their life? Pretty much. If they don't have it today, they're going to have it tomorrow, aren't they? If they don't have it this moment, just wait five minutes. Some machine will be tripped, won't it? And it'll start producing misery. You're ugly and your mother dresses you funny. You, uh, your hair looks awful. Oh my God, you're getting so old. Doesn't it bother you that you're so saggy? You see, and all of a sudden, misery is produced. It trips a machine in you, and all of a sudden that starts oozing misery, oozing pain, oozing anger, oozing resentment, oozing you owe me, oozing I hate you, oozing violence. You see this? How do we shut down some of these misery machines? What are they? How do they work? What chance do we have while we're being inundated with the byproducts of our ignorance? Where do we start? These are all questions that we need to be asking ourselves if we wish to develop, if we wish to be free from all of this misery, if we wish to have something in life that we can call our own. But what I mean is, when I say we call our own, real eye can call its own. 
Real light can now call its own only what's real. You don't know what's real. You don't have a clue about what's real. And because you don't have a clue about what's real, you can't call anything real. So you call everything that you know, everything that false personality knows real. And that is what causes misery, a lot of it. So, for example, that's what this work addresses in great detail, greater detail than we can understand in our current condition. So this work right now is still above us. This is still beyond us. There's still so many things in this work that we do not understand. My example of that this morning was the sex center. We do not understand it, and we are not prepared to understand it, because when I talk about sex and you laugh, or when I talk about sex and you feel ashamed, or when I talk about sex and you get aroused, that means that you're not ready to deal with the sex center. That means that you are still clogged up, that your machine is still misfunctioning. So yesterday, when we talked about sex in the Saturday thing, Saturday morning thing, before we started broadcast. And then I said, okay, well, and we finished that. And I said, okay, are we ready to broadcast? And Curtis said, yeah. And the guy we were talking about went, because he thought we were broadcasting that and he was dying. We won't talk about that now, though. But that's what I mean. Those things, why should you die? What's the problem? Well, other people will know. Well, what will they know? Bad things about me. See, we got it all, all wrong. It's all wrong. You can't look at something pure and clear when you have all these warps and ripples and dirt on the glass. So that has to go before we can talk about it in any kind of detail or any kind of or understand it in any way that's really meaningful. So now the only thing I can do is just point out to you why we can't understand the sex center. All right. Well, we're not talking about the sex center now, although people do love that. We feel dislike for people and we don't know why. So what do we do? Well, we make up a reason why. That's what we do, isn't it? We make up why we don't like people. Well, you'll meet people and you don't like them on site. You have no idea. They've done nothing. There's no reason why you shouldn't like them, but you don't. And then you'll meet other people and you like them on site. And there's no reason why you should, but you do. And you don't know why. So this is what we're talking about. We especially dislike others in the work. This is where we can really dislike people. Right here in this group. We especially dislike people here in this group. Why? Well, why is that? Do you know? Well, I'll give you a couple of seconds because I don't have all day, but... I would say because we have a history and we got a story. A history and a story. Nobody does it right. Bottom line, they're not doing it right. They are not working as hard as we are. They are not working this work right. We are, but they're not. And we don't like that because that puts more on us, doesn't it? If you're not doing the work, then you're laying your garbage on me and I have to work harder. And that's not fair, is it? Get well. Okay. Well, no, you're not. You're doing your best. You're not doing the best. But that's neither here nor there. You know, it's like we, we can only do what we can do. You know, we can only, unfortunately, you're limited by the limitations that you have accepted. You're limited by your likes and dislikes. You're limited by your formatory apparatus. You're limited by your false personality. And so it's going to take longer and longer and longer and longer. And to make this excruciatingly, painfully long process shorter, you're going to have to let more light in and you're going to have to be more obedient. As long as you're going to decide what you're going to listen to that I say, and what you're going to do that I say, and what you're not going to do and what you're not going to listen to, what you're going to believe and what you're not going to believe. As long as you do that, you're leaning to your own understanding and you will not make much progress. It is only when you begin to surrender and obey this work that you will make real progress. And you do not do that now. You fight me. I tell you the truth and you fight me because you do not see it and because you are the ultimate god of your world, because your false personality is running you completely, because you think you are it and it thinks it is you, when I tell you the truth, you fight me. Is that not true? Okay, not all the time. There are times when you don't fight me. Oh, okay, let me, let me just clarify that. There are times when you fight me a little less. 
That's the truth. So the bottom line is, yeah, we don't like people in the work because they're not doing it right. You ever notice how effortless it is to dislike certain people? That takes no effort at all. Not me, of course. It's hard to dislike me, right? Like really hard to dislike me because I'm charming, but other people aren't. I'm wonderful and other people aren't. Okay, so you don't necessarily share that opinion, but that's what we think about ourselves, isn't it? Well, how could anyone not like me? That's really what we think. We're shocked when somebody doesn't like us. Like, what? what's wrong with them? What'd I do to you? What'd I ever do to you? That's what we say. What'd I ever do to that person? Why are they like that? We just can't imagine somebody not liking us because we have all our pictures about how wonderful we are and we don't see ourselves. We have no idea what they're seeing. How could they ever see anything like that? It must be in them. They're not working. That's their problem. That's why they don't like me. They're not working. They'd start working. They'd like me just like I like me. They'd love me like I love me. The whole world would adore me like I adore me. The whole world would be at my feet. That's where they should be. That's where they belong. The whole world needs to worship me. That's what we think. And we're shocked when it doesn't. Just shocked. It's, it's like, oh my God, what a horrible planet. These horrible people. We don't like them. So what is that? No, it's not just because of their unpleasant manifestations. Other people's mechanicalness annoys us because we're not mechanical. They are. That's what annoys us. Other people's mechanicalness. They're all mechanical. Here we are striving to be conscious and they're dragging us down with their mechanicality day in and day out. Mechanicality is probably not a real word, but I used it anyway, crucify. We imagine we're conscious and therefore we imagine that they're conscious as well. Funny, I was talking to somebody yesterday and he said, and I said, well, blah, 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 this, what happened was this person has this experience of you and so they're stuck in that and they think this. And this person says, people are fond of thinking of that. People are fond of thinking that about me. And it, was, and it had this kind of a snarky, superior smell to it, taste to it. The person didn't think so, but I did. And I believed me and not the person because the person was in it and I wasn't. Because I don't really care. I still love the person, whether the person is snarky or, or negative or, you know, whatever. I don't care. What are you laughing at? Snarky? So, yeah, snarky is a cool word. I like that word. I also like um, wonky. I like snarky and wonky. They're good words. I like to use those words. Snarky and wonky. Anyway, this person, I really love this person. This person, anything this person does is fine with me. I don't have a problem with it. And because of that, I can say, well, no, that's not how it is. You just are not seeing it. This person is like a lot of us. When he or she, you know, gets something that they don't like, they raise their eyebrow. (laughs) You think that, huh? Boy, are you stupid. Man, you don't know what's happening over here. Like, you, you don't know what's happening here. You're not me. Like, you're not the boss of me. You don't know what's happening here. You don't know nothing. Just, just back off and shut up. You don't know nothing. And see, all that is is you shutting down the truth because it doesn't want to hear it because it is perfect and it never has any of those things. All these other people are the ones. People, people, they're fond of thinking that about me. It's like, yeah, right. You know, it's like, like yeah, that's all they're interested in is thinking that about you. People's lives are all about thinking that about you. That's all they can ever imagine. You're so huge and wonderful and spectacular. That's all they ever think about. They just put themselves aside so they can think about you. It's like, this is insane. You know, it's insane. When I say it like that, everybody looks at it. Just, even the person who said it is laughing. You know? Oh, I'm so glad he's not telling who it is. You know? But they all know anyway. You know? So you're like, you're in the bag. What can I say? But look, it's like, it's like this. That's the way we are. And so I said, no, the thing is, is that people are not fond of thinking that about you. Machines are fond of thinking that about you, but people are not. People don't think. Machines react. People don't exist. Machines exist. And because you think you're conscious, you imagine that that person is a person who is fond of thinking that about you. But I guarantee you that that person hates thinking that about you, that that person is a prisoner of the machine that thinks that about you. And that person doesn't want to think that about you. It's just a little adjustment there. You know, you're asleep, dude. You are in your imagination. You are operating on old associations, attitudes, hurts, past problems. You are doing that. 
because that happened weeks ago and you are still talking about it and you are still reacting to it. So who kept that alive? The machine kept that alive. The machine has been playing that tape over and over and over again. And sometimes you have an eye that's aware of it and the rest of the time you don't have anything that's aware of it. It's just playing. It's subliminal advertising. It's just playing that thing over and over again. You wonder why you're wonky? You got this these messages, millions of these messages playing all the time, and you're not aware of them. It's all going straight in subliminally, and you're just reacting to it. And this work comes along and says, look, you need to wake up or you're going to die. This, is gonna, this thing's going to kill you if you don't wake up. And you go, it's not going to kill me. What are you talking about? It's just life, man. You get it? I don't need to wake up. I am awake. I know all of it. I know everything that's going on inside of me. You're the one who doesn't know. You don't live in here. You don't know me. Isn't that what you say? Thank you. The truth is, is if I know me, I know you. And the more I know me, the more I know you. And that's why you're still here. Because even though I don't know you and I'm always wrong and especially about you, but it's uncanny, isn't it, how I'm right about those other people? I mean, isn't that just uncanny that I can be right about everybody in the room I get to you and then just be totally off? Well, he's just prejudiced against me. He just, he just has a problem with me. I mean, isn't that just, doesn't it ever occur to you like, wow. You know, it's like, I love it when people come to me advice. They come to me for advice. I give them advice. They come to me advice for advice on everything. I give them advice and then they go, oh man, thanks. That's great. And then they do that. And then they come to me and say, well, you should do this. And I say, you expect me to take your advice? <laughs> you're the one who couldn't do this. You know, it's like, well, you're just an egomaniac. It's like, yeah. Is there something wrong with that? Yeah, I, I'm an egomaniac. Yeah. Is there something wrong with that? And you, of course, say, think there is something wrong with it, but I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I think it's part of our condition. I'm not about to judge it. I'm not about to say anything about it other than, yeah, so? So I'm an egomaniac. So I'm a liar. So I'm a thief. So I'm, you know, this. So I'm that. So I'm all those things. So what's your point? Your point is I shouldn't be? Well, okay, show me how not to do. Show me how, show me how you do it. But all I've seen from you is the same thing. But added to that, I've just seen a lot of judgment and condemnation added to that, which is not really what I'm after, not really what I'm looking to attain in life. I'm looking for something else. So Here's the deal. We imagine we're conscious, therefore they must be conscious too. We expect more from conscious people than we do from machines. So now we've got expectations and requirements. And you're conscious because you're in this work. You're sitting in this room. You've heard this. So now you must be conscious. So now I require more of you. So now I have more reasons not to like you because you're not going to be able to do. Only I can do. You're supposed to be able to do, but clearly you can't because you're still mechanical. So you must not be applying yourself. And I obviously am applying myself because I am doing, but you're not applying yourself. And so you're a lazy slug dragging the rest of us down. See how easy it is to dislike people? I hate to spell it out for you like this, but sometimes it needs to be spelled out. And guys, it's like the thing is, is I can spell it out for you like this because I don't care. I love you. It doesn't matter to me that you're a jerk. And trust me, you're a jerk. You're a pain in the butt, but so what? You know, it's like, so am I. So what? It doesn't have anything to do with anything. It's meaningless in the big scheme of things. <laughs> it's meaningless when you shift away from it, when you stop identifying with it. It's meaningless. It's all just nonsense. You don't have to worry about it. So because we imagine we could easily behave differently, we imagine that they could easily behave differently. Well, you say to yourself, well, I don't imagine that I could easily behave differently. No, that's true. You imagine that you already do behave differently. That's the truth. You imagine that you already behave differently. And the reason you're upset with those people who are fond of thinking that about you is because they won't let go of your past. They won't see that you have changed, that you're different, that you have made all the adjustments, and it's them now. It's not you. So you believe that you changed. Did you? Well, yeah, a little. So does that mean it's not there anymore? No, that's not what it means. It means it's lurking right under the surface. And as soon as it gets a chance, it will erupt. And if you don't know that, 
It's only because you're not remembering what you saw when you observed yourself. Go back to work memory and you will see that it's there. You will see lots of examples of it. You're thinking more of yourself than you ought. You need to just tone it down, back off, separate, relax, and look at this. Like, what is this thing inside of me that's going on, that's saying these things? What is that? Well, you think it's you, but it's not you. And that's when we need to separate. That's when we need to wake up a little, remember ourselves, remember that this is machinery that's operating. Remember that this I that is in charge now that's talking and thinking and formulating all of this stuff, that I is not you. You have to say that that is not I. But when you're stuck, when it's got you, it's got you in this little negative grip and it's squeezing the account and it's twisting the story. You don't know that. And so I'm here and I say that and you go, you're not the boss of me. You don't know what you're talking about. I say, okay, okay, whatever. I'll take one more shot at it. Try to let you see it from another angle and see if you're willing to snap out of it. And if you are, great. If you're not, that's fine too. There'll always be another time because I guarantee it'll be back. It will be back. And I will have another chance at it. I will have another chance to shine that light right in its eyes. And it will be upset. But eventually, eventually, you will listen. Eventually, you will wake up because you want to. You wish to remember yourself. That's why you're still here. So eventually, it's going to work. And I'll just keep throwing it against the wall until it does. I'm not going anywhere. So, here we are. This wrong attitude in us is based on illusions that we and others are conscious people able to easily change our being and behave in a new way when expected to. That's what we expect. We think we're going to go to a new job. We're going to be expected to to behave in a new way. You get in a new relationship. You're going to be expected to behave in a new way, and you're just going to do it. And you find yourself doing the same thing you did in the last relationship. And you go, well, it must be this person. I just picked the wrong one again. Dang, how did I do that again? I was so sure. Oh, I know. They hid all these things from me until after we got in the relationship. And now it's all coming out. Familiar? Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. So the truth is we have not realized that we, like the rest of the world, are machines driven by outside life. What does that mean we haven't realized it? I've realized that. I know that. I've heard you say that a thousand times. Of course I've realized that. No, you haven't realized it. It is not yours. You do not own it. It is an intellectual concept that you trot out and run it up the flagpole and then you salute it. And then you play a song. To, you know, and it's all about how wonderful you are because you've got that intellectual knowledge. I know I'm kind of a little wonky, but you know, it's, this is how I do this. This is how it looks to me. This is how it comes through me. This is how I process it. This is how I experience this work. I experience this work in an everyday, daily, normal thing. It's, it's not something that only happens once a week for me. It's not something that only happens twice a week or three times a week for me. This is something I live with on a daily basis, every minute of every day. This is what it's about. This is what we're here for. Maurice Nicole said to be driven by life requires a special, to not be driven by life requires a special inner development. Sorry, Maurice Nicole, Dr. Nicole, I misquoted you. To not be driven by life requires a special inner development. Well, uh, that's what he's done saying. Now I'm going to say, this is our purpose. This is why we are here. This is why I do this. You can get to the place where you're not driven by life so that you begin to have this inner development that disconnects the driver from life and connects it to something higher. That's what I'm about. When we're driven by meanings that come from life, ambition, rivalry, sex, money, all that stuff, all that stuff involved with life. When we're driven by meanings that come from life, we fall under a very terrible law called the law of accident. Anything could happen to us. We remain clueless to inner meanings. So we take the surface meaning of everything as the full meaning of everything, and we never look deeper. You're looking for your car keys. You pick up the keys, and you say, I found my keys. You go, and you try to open the car door, and it won't open. 
you, you finally use the little beep beep thing. It opens, it unlocks the door, and then you try and stick the key in the ignition, and it won't, doesn't fit. You get angry. You start to beat on the steering wheel. You start to twist the key, and you break the t- key off in the ignition. Then you look at it, and you find it was the wrong car. You thought you had the key, but you didn't have the key. That's what we do. We never really get the inner meanings of things. We remain clueless because we take the surface meaning. Without inner meanings, you're driven by life. The stock market crashes and people jump out of windows. They lose all their money. They blow a hole in their heads. Their husband or their wife gets a divorce. They get depressed. So they're miserable for 20 years in a rotten marriage. Then the guy or the woman leaves and they get depressed. Come back and make me miserable. What what idiots. You know, what is that? There's no consciousness involved in that. That's all machinery. That's all that is. You can't call yourself conscious if you're doing that. Well, you can call yourself conscious, but it doesn't make you conscious. So why does all this happen? Your feeling of yourself depends on outer things. It depends on money, reputation, position, merit, all of those things. All these meanings are provided by life. All these meanings are what life gives you. Life gives you the idea that you need to be somebody. Life gives you the idea that you're worth more if you have money. Life gives you the idea that you're worth more if you have a great body. So what do people do? They go to plastic surgeons and have their bodies modified. Why? Because they think that will make them worth more. Will it? No. And if it does, it'll only make them worth more to the idiots they don't want to be worth more to. I mean, think it through. This is not rocket science. Your value is all in who you are, not what you are. Your value is in what you were created to be, not what you were made by life. Okay? But we don't know that just yet. That's a little difficult for us where we're at right now. Where do we get the meanings for our existence? Where do you get the meanings for your existence? Out here. You get it from your job, don't you? If somebody hires you, they let you do, you know, they hire you, they pay you every week. You, that's where you get the meaning for your existence. They give you money. You take that money, you go to the grocery store. You give those people the money. You give the light people the money. You give the water people the money. You give the gas people the money. You give the mortgage people the money. You give all these people the money and you have an existence. You have a meaning and it's based on all that. And so there you have it. Your bank account, your friends, your family, what you do in life, what you dream in life, blah, 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 blah. That is where you get the meaning for your existence. What this work is saying is that needs to shift if you wish to develop. When those things go wrong in life, you lose your job, you lose your mortgage, you lose your family. This happens, that happens, whatever happens, those things go wrong and they must eventually go wrong. Eventually they go wrong. Nothing is forever. Well, we had the perfect marriage for 50 years and then what happened? Well, she died. Well, then what happened? I was miserable and alone. There you go. Because that's how life is. When that happens, you despair, you become depressed, and it gets worse, and all the other negative emotions take over, and you can get lost in that very, very easily. Why? Because the meaning of your existence is outside yourself. You are at the effect of life, and life doesn't care about you. Not in any way that is meaningful to your true existence. Life only cares about you the same way you care about a hamburger. It's something to eat. It's something to satisfy an urge that you have at the moment. Our ordinary feelings of I is called in this work imaginary I. And it gets its force from external meaning, putting you under the law of accident. So imaginary I draws its force from all these outer things, reputation, merit, all these things, ambition, money, all these things, all these temporary things. And it puts you under the law of accident. Well, how does it put you under the law of accident? Well, if you're connected to all those temporary things, anything could happen. How do we know that? Look at the world. We don't know what's going to happen. Everybody says, oh, everything's just fine. Then the economy goes... Everybody says, oh, it's all back on the rise. And then you find out in some other part of the world, somebody dropped the nickel. 
and it bounced and they lost it down a culvert. And that started a big chain reaction and everybody in that city went crazy and went and did a run on the banks to get their nickels out. And then that spread throughout the whole county and then that spread throughout the whole state and then that has spread throughout the whole country. And then that country affected the next country. The next thing you know, everybody's in a panic and there are no nickels. And that is what this world is like. And there's no reason for it. There's no rhyme or reason to it other than it's insane because all people are machines. All these people on this planet, all these people that we're calling people are machines. They're not awake. And we are part of that. And this work comes along and says, start to wake up if you want to get out from under that. Okay, so if we don't, we stay under the law of accident. This work teaches us to get meaning from ourselves. Time comes when you begin to will this teaching. And when that happens, an inner secret meaning opens up to you. You've already begun to see this, this inner secret meaning that has begun to open up to you because you have started to will this work. You've started to say, even though life is fighting me, I still want this. Even though life is being hard and trying to change my mind and trying to pull me away from this, I don't care. I still want this. I'm going to go for it, no matter what life does. And your friends all say, you're an idiot. You ought to get out of there. And you say, no. And your friends all say, I think you're losing it. There's something wrong with you. You're changing. I don't like it. You need to get back to the way you were. And you say, no. Do you understand? It means you will this work because you have found meaning in it. And then it will give you more meaning. And the more meaning you get, the more meaning it will give you because the more meaning you want. Because this universe is request-response. You request and it will respond. So that's how it happens. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who sees in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. That's from Matthew chapter 6, verse 18. And that is exactly what I'm talking about. The meaning has to come from inside of us. We've got to go into our inner room and close the door and pray to our Father in secret. What does that mean? Find the truth. That's what it means. It means find the truth of your being. Go and look and find the truth of your being, the true meaning of you who you really are, because that's where your worth is, that's where your value is, that's where you need to get your meaning. When you get your meaning from there, you will begin to shift, slowly begin to shift from the world, the law of accident, from being under the law of accident, you will slowly begin to shift, and your center of gravity will move, you'll start to come under the law of your own fate, so that not anything can happen to you, but only what needs to happen to you can happen to you. You see the difference? It may seem subtle at first, but I assure you, it is a world of difference. That's when you begin to shift, pass from the law of accident to the law of your fate. Personality is under 48 orders of law. The more internal part of you is under 24 orders of law. So what does that mean? It means that when you start to get into the real part of you, you're under half as many laws. That's what it means. Well, how many is that? It doesn't matter. Those are numbers. And you remember, I'm not good at math, so who cares? They're just numbers. You can add zeros behind them. How many is 48 orders of laws? How many is 24 orders of laws? How many laws are in one order of laws? You see, it's just, it's mind stuff. You don't need to worry about that. But you can extract meaning from this without worrying about that. And that's what we're about. We're about extracting meaning from this work. We're not about dicing it up and categorizing it and framing it and running it up the flagpole so that other people can salute it and they can see how dedicated we are to the work. We're about extracting meaning from it so that our being will change. Let the other people have the other stuff. Do you understand what I'm saying? Let the other people have the groups and the books and this and that. Let them have that. What I want for us is meaning and change of being. I want to feed on new meaning so that our being will change and our essential self can grow and develop as it should so that we can take our rightful place in the universe. What is that? Don't worry about that. You don't have to worry about that now. All you have to do now is what's set before you to do. You don't have to run ahead too far and don't run back too far. Just see what you can see from where you are, but stay where you are. And when it's time to move, you will be moved. It's not up to you to move you. You will be moved.
How does it work? Well, through self-observation, you realize that you're negative and you understand there's something wrong in you apart from yourself. That's how it works. Through self-observation, you notice there's something in you that's negative, and you notice that's not you. You are separated from it. You go, something in me is not right. This doesn't taste right. This doesn't smell right. doesn't sound right. This is wrong. This is not me. That's not I. That's how it works. And that's when you begin to say no to it. That's when you begin to say no. You don't get to do that. You're not me. You don't get to just do this in my life. So in the beginning, you need reminders. You automatically start doing it. Someone like me says, whoa, stop right there. And if you're smart, if you made me your teacher, and if you're smart and you have made the rule that you will obey your teacher, that you will not lie to your teacher and you will obey your teacher. These are two things that are very important in the work. If you're smart, you've done that. And if you can actually, if you actually value the work enough, if you will it enough, and you can actually do that, and I say stop, you will make a full inner stop. Absolute, complete, full inner stop. You will not object. You will not justify. You will not defend. You will simply stop. And you'll wait. And then I don't have to do anything else. Because if you'll stop and you'll wait, you will get the separation. Because it won't want to stop. But the little bit of will you do have will hold you and stop. And it will start to fight. And then you'll see that you're not it because it'll be fighting your will to stop. You start being responsible to yourself for yourself. Separate from the negative state that you're in. You won't go with it. It taunts you, it teases you, it dangles the fruit in front of you, it lets you know how wonderful it's going to be for you to be right and to make that person wrong, for you to show them, but you won't go with it because you know where it's going, you know what it's like, you know what it's about. When you hit that mark, you begin to stop being a machine controlled by external influences of life. So when do people hit that mark? Really, very early on. As soon as you can stop. As soon as you can catch yourself, remember that, Connie, remember that story about when the birds get lost? The birds got lost, our birds, and we, I got TJ, and you went up to get a cage, and I had closed the garage door, and you couldn't get in the garage door. Our hill is like a huge angle, and getting up that hill was really difficult. She, she runs up the hill, and then the garage door is closed, and she's coming back down the hill, and she says, and she's furious with me, because she's a smoker back then, and she was furious with me for closing the garage door so that she couldn't get in. She comes back down the hill and she's saying to herself the whole way down, all right, I'm not going to unload. I'm not going to be angry. I'm not going to yell at him. And then she's absolutely certain she's not going to. She got within I don't know how far and all of a sudden went, remember that? And it's like, oh, I said I wasn't going to do that. But it just took over. But you see, the point is, is she understood that there was something in her negative that it wasn't her. And she wanted it to stop, but she didn't have the force to do it. She didn't have what it took to do it then, but she does now. Because when we were talking over in the car, she started to say something, and I said, stop, don't go with that. She said, okay, thanks, sorry. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. You've got to start to do that. You start to be a person passing from under the law of accident into your own law of fate. Oh, happy day. This is the greatest day of your life. When you start to pass from the law of accident under your own law of fate, then you can start to really develop. Then you can start to save some energy. Then you can start to make some progress. Jeez, we need to stop pretty soon, don't we? Okay, I'm going to hurry up here. From now on, we go twice as fast. I'm going to talk twice as fast now. (laughs) This is where you really work. This is where work really begins. (laughs) All that goes before you is preparation for this. Everything that goes before this is all preparation for this. You could prepare in this work for years and never have that moment. But then suddenly you have that moment, and that's when the work really begins. Until then, you were preparing, just like you prepare a painting surface. You scrape, you sand, you prime, you do all these things, and then the last thing you do is put the coat of paint on. That's what this is like. Do all this preparation first. It's 90% preparation, perspiration, and then 10% just doing it. As you follow these meanings coming from above you, from more real source, 
Your relationship to life begins to change. Your relationship to yourself begins to change as well. You no longer see yourself as you saw yourself. You start to doubt yourself. You start to doubt the self that you were. You start to doubt it. Instead of doubting the other person who's saying this to you, you listen to what the other person is saying and you doubt yourself. This is big progress, people. You can start to do this more often than you do it now. You're going to really move. What you took as yourself before becomes some stranger that gradually loses its power over you, leaving you free to discover something higher, something more real. Then you start to come under what really belongs to you instead of what life made, what life now owns and operates. Life owns and operates you because life made you. When you start to become more real, you are Teflon coated in life. Life cannot stick to you the way it did. You just can't do it. It'll try, but it won't be able to do it. Eventually, this new source of meaning will replace your old source of meaning coming from outside of you. Then you'll know the pearl of great price. Then you'll be willing to sell everything you have to get that. Nothing else will matter to you. Then you'll be like me. You'll be crazy. And people will go, that guy's nuts. But there's something about him that I like and something about what he's saying that's right. But he's just so weird. It's like, yes, that's, what, that's what's going to happen to you. Because the world will never accept this. So you have to say to the world, fine, then don't. See ya. Wouldn't want to be ya. Maurice Nicole said, if you lose this source of meaning, this higher meaning, if you lose this source of meaning, you will feel utterly lost. Whatever you attain in this life will not matter. That's why you're scared of losing me. Because if you lose what you consider to be the source of this meaning, then what? Where are you going to find it? Well, if you know where, then you haven't connected. But if you don't know where, if you have that clutching feeling, you're connected. You're connecting. And of course, that's fearful. That's terrifyingly fearful. You're following a man, you know. It's a cult. Blah. People go crazy over that. It's like, let them go. Often the practical application of these ideas sounds like it's going to be easy. The ideas sound great. When we actually run into a situation or a person who's being a little more difficult than we'd like, we find it's not as easy as we thought it was going to be. If you've hit a snag with some aspect of this work and its practical application in your everyday life, I invite you to write James at solidrockvista.com. Sometimes a fresh perspective is all it takes to get us back on the right track.